This is the IBJ Podcast for the week of Monday, July 24th, 2023, brought to you by Taft. I'm your host, Mason King. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. You might remember that at this time last year, IBJ Media unveiled the inaugural issue of the Indiana 250. It's a compendium of the state's 250 most influential and impactful business and community leaders. Our definitions of influence and impact were intentionally broad, and our list included C-suite executives, not-for-profit leaders, civic bigwigs, lawyers, bankers, board chairs, artists, promoters, judges, philanthropists, and serial entrepreneurs. The biggest caveat was that we didn't include elected officials because their influence is obvious and we like to highlight people who are necessarily as prominent. The beauty of the Indiana 250 concept is that the list is a living document, if you will, that's updated every year. Late last week, We unveiled the 2023 edition of the Indiana 250, and there has been significant turnover, with dozens of new honorees knocking others off the list. For this week's edition of the IBJ Podcast, I'll be joined by Nate Feltman, co-owner and CEO of IBJ Media, who will shed more light on the process of choosing honorees this year. We'll also shine the spotlight on 10 of the Hoosier leaders making their first appearances on the list. Here's our conversation. It's my pleasure to welcome back to the podcast, Nate Feldman, CEO of IBJ Media, and my boss, Nate. Good to be with you as always, Mason. (laughs) Thanks for joining me. So as we indicated last year when the Indiana 250 debuted, being named to the list in the inaugural year was not a lifetime appointment. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So my understanding is the team set a goal this year that they wanted about 30% of the honorees on the second annual list to be new. That's about 75-ish people who would come off the list to make way for the new honorees. What was the purpose of making sure you had a critical mass of fresh faces? Well, the good news is that there are always are going to be fresh faces based on retirements and uh, all the issues you can think about of somebody no longer being associated with important organizations that are driving important work in our communities and our state. So there are always going to be people who come on and off the list for, for that reason. And then, you know, uh, last year, as you might recall, last year we made a, a specific point to really recognize some of the outstanding leaders across the state of Indiana who've made fantastic contributions in their communities and, and statewide, uh, but that were in the tail, you know, kind of the tail end of their careers. And, and so there are a number of those folks, um, names that you all will recognize uh, who've made amazing contributions that we uh, we moved off the list this year to make room for some younger uh, in some cases and in some cases people who are just really active in their communities and that by the way is an important element as as you'll recall it's very important to us in selecting the individuals on this list that they are big contributors uh, outside of their you know maybe their their day jobs and they're contributing to the growth and the prosperity of their communities and and uh, and, and the state as a whole in some cases but that external engagement and involvement in the community is really a big a quality a important quality I should say that we we look at when deciding who's on the list 
I, I should probably point out just for people who think we all work in the same office. Uh, I was not involved uh, in this process this right. year, but you know, it's, it's impossible not to pick up, you know, whiffs <laughs> of, of the very sort of healthy debates that occur when you're deciding who's going to be on the list and who's not. Sure. Explain for the people outside the building, what is the process or what was the process the second year for determining like who's going to, who's going to start this time and who's going to come off the bench yeah. and who is going to stay. It's on not the bench. too dissimilar from the process we had last year. We had nominations. So we start with nominations. We get lots of nominations from people across the state who want to nominate somebody who is, they think is worthy, influential and making a big difference. And then, you know, we also make an extra effort as we did last year to really call leaders to, to set appointments and meetings with leaders around the state and get, you know, in, you know, if they haven't submitted somebody to get them on the phone and talk to them about who's making a difference, who, who are true leaders in their, in their region. And that, that is really, really, really helpful. So that's part of the process as well. And then as mentioned, you know, there is there is churn and just in terms of people retiring and and coming off the list. And there are people who, who have new jobs, new appointments who are doing really big things. And uh, I think we're going to talk about some of those folks later on. Is it fair to say that the buck stopped with Nate? On this <laughs> I would not say that. We have a very collaborative, iterative process. Uh, and in this case, we have Gary Dick inside Indiana Business. We have Olivia Covington, who is the editor of The Lawyer, Indiana Lawyer. Uh, and Leslie Weidenbenner, of course, who's the editor of the IBJ. All of us contribute to that process. And and just like we do in a lot of our other honoree programs, uh, we try to reach consensus. And I think we did a good job on that this year where we did reach consensus around this list. I have a few, because I'm sure people are interested, a few examples of people who are were in the first and not in the second. And we okay. can talk a little bit about, for example, the uh, you know, just the reasoning behind it. First one, John Mellencamp. Yeah, here's a guy who uh, has a huge national following, uh, is known by name, you know, across the world, and is continually associated with Indiana. I mean, it has a lot of influence that way. Why not on the second year? Well, we we tried to recognize some people who, just as you described, are are known, you know, to be. Uh, Indiana luminaries, uh, people who are still living in Indiana. That's one of the qualifiers. And uh, so that that's an important aspect. Uh, but, but every year we're going to try to recognize some luminaries. And, um, you know, in Mellencamp's case, I mean, he did make some some pretty interesting news contributing his archives to to IU. But we felt like we recognized them last year and we want to make room for, for others. Okay. Uh, another name. Uh, also somebody, I mean, in the media spotlight. James Hinchcliffe, who was among the most popular racers in IndyCar before he uh, moved over to be an, an NBC analyst yeah. on all of the IndyCar series races, uh, and who has uh, continued, I think, to be visible in Indianapolis with business interests and promotions. Yeah. And it doesn't say that that person's necessarily any less influential or important to our community by taking them off the list. Uh, kind of to your earlier reference, in order to keep the list interesting. And frankly, I mean, there are so many people in Indiana, right? We're what, close to 8 million people in Indiana. And to limit it to 250, you know, every year we should be recognizing people uh, be beyond, you know, the 250. So so we're going we're gonna to do that year to year where we recognize some people uh, one year and, and then the next year, you know, we'll recognize some others. And here, here's somebody who, I mean, at least to my mind, was very much sort of a job specific yeah. inclusion. Uh, Susan Bauman, who was sure. the president of the 2022 college football playoff 
host committee here in Indianapolis. Right. Obviously, that was last year. Right. And she made a huge contribution last year uh, in that role. That was obviously an incredibly important event for our city, the, the national championship game that was held here last year. And that's a good example, right, where somebody's stepping up in a given year. Uh, that job's done for her. And uh, we're waiting for the next big thing that she does so we can report on her hopefully next year. Now, Leslie Weinbenner, who you mentioned, the editor of IBJ and uh, also Indiana 250, has said that creating the second list of honorees was actually harder than compiling the first because it wasn't just a matter of choosing 250 people. She knew that dozens of people would have to come off. Uh, did you feel a, a similar consternation? And do you end up fielding calls from people wondering whether or not they're going to be on the list or why they weren't going to be on the list? <laughs> uh, you know, there's some, there's a little bit of consternation, but, uh, you know, I, I, the interesting thing is that I think uh, people on this list who have come off, I think they completely understand that, that, you know, recognizing incredible leadership, uh, recognizing incredible contributions to our cities across the state and to the state as a whole, in some cases, even around the world, it's important. And I don't think everybody expects to be appointed to the list every year. So I, I probably had a little less consternation than, than maybe some, uh, because I think there is a recognition that it's good to, to recognize more, uh, more people that, that are doing great work in the state. Now, I think uh, you know, from my perspective next to my computer and in editing stories for IBJ, that the purpose of the Indiana 250 is primarily its educational value for readers to learn more about, uh, you know, the people who are animating the state. What do you see as the purpose uh, beyond that educational value? What is it that we really want to achieve, you know, of, of value to the state. So there's a couple things in my mind that stand out and I've hit on it probably multiple times already. And that is, I think when you recognize something and you, and in some ways measure something that maybe you entice other people to, to do that. In this case, it's community engagement, it's involvement, you know, beyond what their day jobs are and making their communities better. And as I mentioned, that is an important trait, important quality that we look for. If someone is, is happens to be, you know, a CEO of a, of a company, but is not engaged or their company is not engaged beyond, you know, what they do uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, then it's highly unlikely that they're going to be nominated and highly unlikely that they're going to be picked. So incentivizing more uh, good work that improves the, the quality of life for every Hoosier uh, is really important to us. The second thing that I hope comes out of this, and I feel like this is hap does happen and uh, especially seems to happen when we have an event, which we do for the 250, uh, and it's just for them, uh, is to, to uh, again, incentivize or entice collaboration from leaders across our state. And so, you know, it's not often that leaders from South Bend and, and leaders from Evansville are in the same, you know, two complete opposite ends of our state are in the same room together. And I believe that when you've got people who care about our state and care about their communities and, and, and you know, throughout the state, that when you get them together, some really good things can happen. And so our hope is that, you know, you know, by having the event, by, by putting this together, this, this list together, that more of that can happen. And uh, there can be more collaboration on important initiatives to the state. Um, and, and there's lots of those that we know we need to work on. Yeah, I, you know, just, uh, you know, over the course of discovering the news uh, here in Indiana, and this might maybe be a little bit simplistic, but I really feel like the state is growing less and less, less and less siloed mm -hmm. into communities where there are more and more projects that are 
reaching over the span of several counties, um, yes. even like half of the state. That's right. I mean, part of it could uh, it could be as simple as just you know connecting the southern part of the state with the central part of the state, you know, with the new interstate. Yeah. Uh, or you take a look at the ready projects that yeah. the state is doing that you know combine entire regions, or uh, the leap innovation district that's occurring right now, which is really taking trying to take advantage of, you know, what they're, I guess, calling the hard tech corridor between Indianapolis and Lafayette. Right. So it would, it would seem like this would, this is really kind of of the essence right now. I think you're right. I mean, I think you're hundred percent right. And I, and we know that that is happening because, you know, we are doing our Engage Indiana events around the state. We did, you know, seven cities this year, all the cities you can, you can think of in terms of the, the larger ones, Fort Wayne, Evansville, South Bend. But now we added uh, Valparaiso, Terre Haute and, and Lafayette, Greater Lafayette. And when you're at those events, you can feel just what you just described, which is uh, the regions and counties uh, are working together more so, you know, today than they have in, in really years. And I think you're right. I mean, a big contributor of that is the the Ready uh, Grant program where they're incentivized to come together and think about projects that can really drive the regional economies. And I think you're right also that, you know, the infrastructure improvements that, that have been made over the last couple decades really are starting to have a positive impact. But you're, I mean, historically, I mean, I grew up in South Bend and historically I can tell you that, you know, South Bend and, and the region, you know, to the, to the West did feel uh, isolated and didn't feel as connected. And I think that, and I, I bet you, if you ask some of these leaders, uh, I think they all would say that is really beginning to change and we're making some real positive movement in that regard. And I hope that this list and the, the collaboration that we foster, you know, at the event and beyond is a contributor. That's the goal. Let's take a look at some of the new names on the list this year. And just for the sake of working with a round number, we have chosen 10 newcomers, not newcomers of the state, but newcomers uh, to the list. These are in no particular order. I have to say that at least in a few instances, when I saw the name, my jaw crashed to the floor because I couldn't believe they weren't on the first list. Yeah. But I mean, obviously, as you know, as we've gone over in some detail here, this is not an exact science. But speaking of science, our first name is Richard DeMarkey. Uh, he's the co-founder of MBX Biosciences, distinguished professor and Gill chair in molecular, uh, excuse me, biomolecular sciences at IU. Uh, maybe more to the point, he is a serial entrepreneur that has been involved, not necessarily as an entrepreneur, in, in the development of some very important drugs. Absolutely. Yeah, prolific entrepreneur, owner of many, many patents, I think uh, close to 100 or, or more, um, has been you know key at Lilly uh, before, certainly getting into kind of more private sector, and uh, well, I shouldn't, shouldn't say private sector, in terms of generating new companies and, 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 and new ideas. Uh, in his case, you know, MBX that you mentioned it has has moved its headquarters to the state of Indiana and is really, uh, you know, attracting a lot of attention, a lot of money, a lot of dollars, a lot of venture capital dollars. And um, he's a no-brainer to add to the list uh, as as a result. And he would have been a no-brainer last year. But, you know, we like I mentioned before, we were con- somewhat constrained. So he's a good example of somebody uh, who's made unbelievable contributions. And I think his contributions are only going to grow as company like, like MBX grows. And, and hopefully there'll be more right behind it. Okay, let's take a quick break so we can hear from our sponsor. This is the IBJ Podcast. 
Taft, today's modern law firm, with more than 800 attorneys in eight primary Midwest markets and the District of Columbia, we provide solutions to the business issues facing middle market and emerging companies alike. We do this through a highly collaborative and inclusive team approach. Taft, the modern law firm. To learn more, visit taftlaw.com. All right, we're back with this week's edition of the IBJ Podcast and our conversation with IBJ Media CEO, Nate Feldman, about the Indiana 250. Next on our list, we have Meng Chang, newly installed president of Purdue University, Les Lafayette, as of January 1st of this year, uh, hence his inclusion. I think everyone can assume Mr. Chang is as close to a slam dunk as you possibly could get on this list. Yes. Um, you, you've spoken with him before. You know him. Uh, what can you say about him? Well, I can say, you know, he, uh, of course, uh, he follows in the footsteps of a great leader, Mitch Daniels, but he is ready to, to rock and roll. I mean, he is, you know, championed along with Pam Witten the separation of IEPUI, uh, and 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 he did it because he realizes the opportunity for more opportunities for Purdue students, but experiential opportunities in Indianapolis, and realizes the impact that uh, the two separate universities can have, and and you know, in Indianapolis and in the region, the greater region. He's fully on board with this Leap District where Lilly is going to be situated in Lebanon. And, you know, has talked about this hard tech corridor that can be created between West Lafayette and Indianapolis. He's talking about things that are going to move the needle. Right. And he's not just talking about them. He's 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 doing them, you know, with partners. And, um, you know, Purdue has always been absolute incredible asset for our state. And uh, and he's doing he's, he's I, I, I can see already in a short tenure, he's going to push the envelope to, to have an even stronger impact in our state. So it's exciting to have him at the helm. And when we talk about workforce issues, which has, I mean, been a persistent question in Indianapolis, or not Indianapolis, from the state, you know, for forever, uh, but especially in the most recent years, I mean, to the extent that we rely on a university, especially like Purdue, that is so strong in the STEM fields, to get people prepared for all of these open jobs that we have, that, you know, we hope are going to bring larger companies uh, and more sophisticated companies to Indiana, he is on top. He's in charge of that. He is. And, you know, the the number of, I mean, what the other pretty awesome thing, uh, in addition to what you described, is what's happening in Greater Lafayette in terms of company formation and in terms of just new companies coming, you know, chip companies. Um, I mean, the list goes on in terms of Saab and and many others who are putting research centers and putting, you know, manufacturing facilities, you know, in Lafayette area. And they're and they're and clearly they're attracted to what you you know what you're describing, the talent there. And I think that can only can, you know, will will continue under his leadership. He's very focused as as of course was Mitch. Uh we'll take a left turn here to Ashley Flowers. She's the founder and chief creative officer uh, for the podcasting and online content company, AudioChuck, most folks probably know her by her most famous creation, Crime Junkies, which I think as of last year was the most popular podcast in America. Yeah. And so, you know, she moved her company, uh, AudioChuck, created it and moved it and is, is growing it, you know, right here in central Indiana. And so that got our attention. 
And uh, and as you described, you know, she's uh, one of the most popular podcasters out there with Crime Junkies. And she's also a New York Times bestselling author. Uh, if I remember right, it's uh, author of All Good People here. And it's a, a novel and, and, and I assume it's still doing well. But uh, she's doing some pretty amazing stuff. And, and, uh, and, and to recognize someone like that who decided to grow their company, you know, they could do it in California, they could do it in New York, but they're choosing to do it right here in Indiana. And that's pretty awesome. Next, let me bring up. Alice Watson, she's the president and CEO of Indiana Black Expo in Indianapolis. I think this is a great example of somebody who definitely has been influential on the local and the state level for many years, but who now has a higher profile position and more responsibility. Right. Yeah. And I, I think she's been with the Black Expo for quite a long time, but now has the opportunity to lead as its CEO. And, you know, we just finished, uh, if I've got timing right, the the black the uh, summer celebration that Black Expo put on uh, last week. And uh, by all accounts, it was a big success. And so uh, her leadership, she's been involved in important issues in the city for quite some time. Uh, now her, her leadership of Indiana Black Expo uh, got her on the list. We'll take another turn here to uh, an area, certainly of the economy, that I know you're really familiar with. David Rosenberg. He's the chief operating officer and chief of staff for the Indiana Economic Development Corp. The IEDC, obviously, the primary is one of the primary drivers of economic development in Indiana and a kind of connective tissue between the state and the private sector. But the position of COO and the chief of staff typically are not real high profile. What can you tell us about those positions and David? Well, David's been doing great things in in the state and in the city for quite a long time. He's a he's a young rising leader. Um, I know for a fact that he's been in the middle of really important deals over the last couple of years, and uh, so he's a rising star uh, in our city and state. Uh, he was certainly involved in the leap uh, that we, the district that we've been talking about, where Lily will make its big investment. I know he also has been critical in terms of the new tools that IEDC was able to secure uh, this this last legislative session. Been very involved and engaged in, in making sure the legislature understood how just how important uh, those tools would be and for the economy of the future that uh, the IEDC is driving for. So he's he's one of these rising stars that we wanted to make sure made the list this year. Uh, another uh, name from the from the public sector, Elaine Beadle, secretary and CEO of the Indiana Destination Development Corp. She's also the founder and CEO of Beadle Financial Consulting, which manages more than two billion dollars in investment portfolio assets. I know that the Destination Development Corporation is is a new facet of the Indiana state government. What is she doing and, and, and why? Is she risen at the top? So Elaine has been involved in economic development for quite some time. She actually served at the Indiana Economic Development Corporation previously as its president, and then moved over when the when I think it was a couple of years ago now when the legislature created this Indiana Destination Development Corp, which is the former tourism agency, right? And so one of the reasons we put her on the list is that uh, you know they just got a big chunk of money from the legislature, a huge a, a chunk of money to really get out there and advertise around the globe, you know, what Indiana has to offer. And you're starting to see some of that 
Um, maybe not seeing yet the new dollars, but they've already had some, you know, branding uh, that you see along the state highways. And uh, we think that she has the opportunity to really help get the message out about why Indiana is a good place to, to come and work, uh, to live, to to uh, to grow a business. And uh, the work that she does in combination with the Indiana Economic Development Corporation to get that message out, it's something I hear all the time from leaders that we're not doing well enough. And so we're excited that uh, the legislature decided to give her more of an opportunity to try to get the message out about why Indiana is a great place to be. Okay. Let's move over to the arts for a second. We have Alan Bacon. He's a co-founder and president of Gang Gang, a cultural development and social justice organization that grew out of the George Floyd protests in 2020. Uh, it's probably best known right now, the organization, uh, for staging the fine arts fair known as Butter that has uh, I mean, become a nationally known affair, uh, I think, very quickly. Yeah, and you know the the work that they're doing and he's doing uh, in the arts uh, throughout Central Indiana, focusing on promoting diversity in the arts. You know, we thought was really important, and uh, we added him to the list in that in that regard. And uh, we hope they keep doing more of what of what they're they're, they're focused on today. Here is another one of my jaw droppers. <laughs> it's Mike Cunningham. The may, name may ring a bell for some people. He's the president and CEO of Indianapolis-based Cunningham Restaurant Group. They uh, have something along the lines of 40 different restaurants. Mm -hmm. uh, again, this is an Indianapolis-based company uh, that has grown to really an incredible size and an amazing amount of influence, culinarily speaking. I, I think has seven uh, highly rated yeah. restaurants downtown alone, including, I mean, two or three of the top-rated restaurants. What can you tell us about Mike? Well, he he has been quietly doing just what you described, um, just putting together amazing restaurant, new restaurant concepts, chefs, and getting you know national recognition in many cases. Uh, one of the things that caught our eye this year was the deal that they put together with the Pacers, Pacers Sports and Entertainment, uh, to put to put uh, you know a, a new restaurant and new concept there. But he. he isn't somebody who's often in the public eye, but we see is having a huge impact uh, in terms of the just the quality of life scene, the food scene that that often is, you know, for a lot of young people helps drive people to, to choose cities sometimes. So he's doing it and doing it very, very well. So we thought he was very well deserving. Uh, next up, we have an honoree who very appropriately will probably spark some debate on this list. It's Greg Doyle. Yeah. Indianapolis Star sports columnist. Yeah. You know. I've always been uh, personally a huge fan of Greg Doyle. I, I love the fact that uh, there's no holds barred when you read a Greg Doyle column, right? I mean, he'll 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 uh, tell you exactly how he feels, uh, whether you know it's a uh, you know, and of course it's on the hometown sports teams, right? And uh, there's something to be said about that, right? And so he stood out. Uh, some other interesting things about about Greg that stood out. I, I had no idea until we dug a little more that he was an amateur boxer, and uh, it was four and zero as an amateur boxer. Yeah, he was that, a white collar boxer. That's yeah. uh, that's pretty cool. So I think uh, he might have been. Four and one. Did he lose one? I think his last bout, I think, was against like a former MMA fighter or something or, or some, <laughs> somebody who was involved like in professional fighting. And okay. It was, it was an ugly scene. Well, he, he's been uh, going at it on the local sports scene for a long time and has done a tremendous job. And uh, so we wanted to recognize. We recognized some other journalists last year. And this is another example of where we want to recognize uh, the good work that's going on in the city. And, and again, I mean. It's important to have a loud leading voice that is credible. Yeah. You know, and and he's been here for a while. Uh, I, I don't know if it's been 10 years yet. And it's easy, I think, you know, to, to get 
used to, you know, the quirks of a particular writer. Uh, and he definitely has his, and he'll be the first one to point him out. But um, it's important to have somebody that can say something fresh about what's happening, you know, with the teams that you care about. Yeah, yeah. And he's had he's had great experiences. I know he's been based uh, a lot of other places, Miami, Charlotte, uh, Tampa, and uh, he just brings an incredible level of professionalism, journalism. Even though some, you know, in the city might say he goes too far, I love it. I mean, I just I just love that he it's, it's no holds barred, as I mentioned. Well, you know, the, <laughs> you can always write a column two days later that, <laughs> that mends those fences. Yes, uh, that's right. So our last name is Marla Thompson, who is senior vice president at Salesforce. Uh, Salesforce, uh, as my seven-year-old will tell you, was the tallest building, uh, Salesforce Tower, tallest building yeah. in Indianapolis. Uh, obviously, very prominent. It is uh, the uh, successor, if you will, to Exact Target, which was an amazing success story uh, in the cloud marketing sphere here in Indianapolis. But, uh, and this is ju- just my perspective, I don't feel like we hear very much about the leadership at Salesforce. I know that uh, that Marla is is on a few uh, very important boards or yeah, executive it, committees. Well, she just, I mean, the important thing to remember is that uh, she just stepped into this role not too long ago as the site leader uh, for for Salesforce here in Indianapolis. And, and so I think, you know, we're going to see more and more uh, of what uh, Marla is going to do, you know, in terms of a leader at, at Salesforce here locally. Um, they're obviously still an incredibly important uh, company uh, to this city and employ a lot of technology talent. And so yeah, we thought she was certainly uh, deserving. She also, um, we know, has had a big impact on on their business. And uh, just in the in the line that she oversees, their marketing cloud business, my understanding is that they've doubled that business under her leadership the last few years. So, you know, we expect more and more good things. And uh, and Salesforce has has been a great corporate contributor to the community in lots of different ways, and they're continuing to do so. In fact, they're hosting a gathering of the Indiana 250. So, thank you, Marla, and thank you, Salesforce. <laughs> right on. As was true last year, I have to say some of the things that I enjoy most about the Indiana 250 are the questions designed to reveal more about uh, the honoree's interests and personalities. And Marla, for example, says that her first job was the tasseling corn, which I think a lot of people uh, in Indiana will identify yeah. with, from which she learned that she would much rather work in an office. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, there's a lot of jobs like that you're going to see when you open up. And I encourage everybody to open up the Indiana 250 magazine because you're going to find some really fun, interesting facts. I mean, I'll, I'll give you a couple interesting okay. facts. And I'm not going to tell you who it, they're associated with, though, because you got to open the Indiana 250 magazine oh, uh, to, <laughs> to, uh, to figure it out. But we've got a former police officer. You wouldn't guess who this is, a former police officer who delivered a baby in a snowstorm. And I I would never have figured out who that was, given their current job. We've got somebody who played golf with Mickey Mantle. Uh, That's pretty cool, the baseball player. We've got somebody who meddled in Irish dance as a kid, and you're never going to figure out Dennis Murphy, who that was. Uh, so that uh, that's quite <laughs> extraordinary. We got somebody, get this, who rode a unicycle all over Southport while dribbling a basketball in order to improve their dribbling skills for the for their their school team. 
And so you'll have to see who that is. And that, and apparently the person still has that unicycle. So they've, they've kept it as a memento. Now, now if, I didn't, if I didn't know that we do not have elected leaders on this list, I would have said Governor Holcomb. No, exactly. No, that, that would be shooting a basketball in every, you know, in every gym around the state. But uh, no, no elected leaders on this list. That's, that's right. But there's, some, there's some, a lot of fun facts. But there's also some serious facts, like their ideas on leadership, their advice for young people you know, what they would change about the state of Indiana. Those are things that I think are really interesting to see from a you know group of 250 leaders. And so you'll you'll have to open up the magazine to see who those things are associated with. But it's it's a great read. I, I couldn't put it down when I first got my my copy earlier this week. So I, I know we're going to have the event where we, we get the honorees together here in a day or two. Uh, and that'll be a little bit before this podcast airs. So but you're not going to get the feedback. Uh, or you don't have the feedback yet that's that you're right. going to get from that from that's that event. Right. Do you have uh, any sense of uh, what we can expect from the third edition of Indiana 250? The third edition. Well, gosh, we're we're bare, we're just getting this one under our belt, Mason. But you know, we'll we'll continue to try to do what we've done this year, which is again recognize people who are making a difference in the state. And uh, my guess is it's going to get harder and harder as we go to take people off because, as I mentioned, we we did intentionally recognize, you know, some people who've just been making contributions for a long time to the state in the first edition. But, um, you know, we're going to work hard at it to really make sure we've got a, a quality list. We'll do the same things we've done in the past, which is reach out around the state. It is a fun process, uh, and uh, hopefully, you know, I won't get too many eggs thrown at my house or car as a result of uh, this year or next year. <laughs> I think we'll just hire people to throw <laughs> right, eggs at your house. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> great. Well, uh, yeah, you're right. It's a fantastic read. It's a great resource. Uh, awesome, Mason. Well, it's been a lot of fun, and uh, we're looking forward to, to launching it uh, this week and, and uh, seeing what people's reaction is to the list. Great. Well, thanks for making time. I really appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Mason. My thanks again to Nate Feldman. FYI, IBJ's subscribers can read the profiles of this year's honorees at indiana250.com. And those who choose to get our print products get the Indiana 250 issue in the mail. It's also available for purchase from IBJ Media. Before you get on with the rest of your week, though, there are a few stories in the latest issue of IBJ I want to draw to your attention. First up, Mayor Joe Hogsett's administration plans to test a state law regarding the kinds of properties and businesses that could be declared public nuisances and liable for the city's costs when responding to problems. Taylor Wooten has that story. Mickey Shuey goes behind the scenes at the Indiana State Museum's IMAX Theater and the extraordinary preparations required for showing the big screen epic Oppenheimer. And Peter Blanchard explains why a growing number of retired Hoosiers are deciding to get back into the workforce. And again, you can find these stories in the latest print edition of IBJ or online at IBJ.com. I will say that it is easier to access all of the latest local news about business and politics and all of IBJ's data on central Indiana's business community and economy if you're a subscriber. And here's the new development. We have wrapped all of IBJ's content together with all of the stories, columns, and podcasts from our sister publication, Inside Indiana Business, and now works out to just about $3 per week for actionable information about every notable business development across the state. You won't find Indiana story told with this kind of breadth and depth anywhere else. Just go to ibj.com, click on the subscribe button. 
And thanks again for making time this week for the IBJ podcast. I'm Mason King. Hang in there, everybody. We'll be back again next week.